vintage sand. Hello, hello, hello. Here we are, back from quarantine, back from contagion. It's Team Vintage Sand, bloodied but unbroken, as usual. Coming to you from our respective pied-a-terres, uh, high above the uh, Manhattan skyline, and um, happy to be here in any way, shape, or form. Uh, apology, apologies in advance, of course, for the audio. We're doing this as a Zoom. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll get what we get. And uh, it's good to see you guys in any, uh, in any form. Yes, uh, it's great to see you guys too. It's been two months since we did the last I know. One. Yeah. I know. Way too long. Yeah. So, and of course, no one's seen any new movies. But, you know, it's funny. I, you know, a lot of people, oh. I, I see on Facebook and such, a lot of people are just sort of <coughs> past, uh, you know, understandably. Uh, because it's a, a more comfortable time given the present that we're in. So what we're going to do in our episode 20, that's right, fans, episode 20, um, is to look forward into the future. And this episode is going to be about who we predict, who we think are the most likely candidates to be the great auteurs of the next decade, of the 2020s. Um, but before we get into that, guys, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, um, what is, if, we, if you think about the future of movies, as in people in the dark in a theater, what do you see ahead, given this? Given that you mean because of the pandemic, or just... Yeah. I'm not, as much as I love movies, I'm not in any rush to go to a movie theater since they're notoriously dirty. <laughs> movie theaters have a bad reputation for keeping things clean. I mean, I know, did you guys see that thing about Universal, how AMC is not going to show any films put out by Universal? No. Because, yeah, because, uni because Universal set up a simultaneous theatrical release uh, streaming deal. So um, I, don't, I don't know, I didn't even know how the big guys are going to make it, how AMC and Regal and the chains are going to make it through this. Yeah, I... Well, they're mostly closed now. I mean, it'll never disappear. There'll always be, you know, there'll always be boutique theaters and there'll always be people going to see movies with strangers together in the dark. But I really wonder what this means. Is this the death blow for, you know, we've talked about this before about the future of films and theaters and it's already precarious. And now I'm afraid this may push it over the edge. Uh, the only thing I can think of is- I think it depends how long- All these chains are willing to go into a lot of debt for a while to, to try to keep things open because a lot of people are just not even even though we're, we're saying we can start to open things up people are not going to be willing to go to movie theaters for a while and and i saw a survey somewhere you know asking people what they missed most and seeing movies in the theater was just about at the bottom really yeah it was wow. like everyone was like yeah i watch film i i stream on netflix anyway i don't even go to the movie yeah that's that's not that surprising wow yeah, but it's kind of sad. So, I mean... Yeah, it's very sad. Whether the And as I said, there'll always be, you know, especially in a place like New York, there'll always be theaters to see movies in. But boy, I mean, uh, this, this is, you know, this is an even bigger threat than television was. And television, remember, from 48 to 52, the movie-going public was cut in half. 
just by yeah. the advent and popularization of television. Yeah. So, and that's part of the reason why the, the studios were making big extravaganzas. They had to find a way to make it really different to draw people back into going to movies on a regular basis. Exactly. And, well. no, and plus you had 3D and smell-o-vision and wired seats yeah. killer and all yeah. that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. So, right, so, so, and we're not even going to do a necrology this time because, uh, you know, as Bob Dylan once sang, too many people have died. So we're going to stay upbeat and positive and look at the people who we think are going to be... Um, <laughs> what, Michael? We're going to talk about the people who should die, not the people who actually died. All right, no politics. That's our policy here. No police. Check your politics at the door. <laughs> Oh, okay. So I'm going to lead with, uh, with a pretty obvious candidate, and that is Ryan Coogler. I mean, a man who's made only three films, but they are three utterly, completely different films, completely different. I mean, someone who could make something as small as Fruitvale Station, as kind of upper medium as Creed, and then as huge budget as Black Panther, and be successful in all three. I mean, he's at the top of my list. What do you guys think? Um, I definitely think he's someone to watch. His movies are very well made tech, on a technical level. And he's, he's exploring. There's going to be a Black Panther, too. Is he directing or just producing? Uh, he, I, I think he's directing. Nice. Because I know he didn't direct Creed 2. He produced it. And Creed 2 was fine, but not as good as... I didn't care for Creed. I was very I, pleasantly I liked surprised. It. I, I, I actually it was I liked the same it. story as Rocky. Except yeah, I didn't care. I liked it, and actually, technically, it was a better made movie. Yes, um, and and Michael B is great, and Tessa Thompson is great, and but you know, I think the one that totally surprised me because you know it was his first major film was Fruitvale Station. I mean, I think that's a flat. I did out like Fruitvale very much. Um, because I didn't watch uh, Friday Night Lights. I know Michael B was on that and uh, on TV. So it was the first time I'd really seen him on a big screen. And I was like, oh my God. And what a brilliant way to tell that story too. Start to finish yeah. with yeah. the documentary footage and you know, circular structure ending up back at the end. And wow, I, I, just, I, just, I just loved it. And Black Panther, as I've said in these pages before, is really the only superhero film aside from Dark Knight that I think rises above a genre. It's so smart and so well made. No, that, yeah, a, there's no scenes super, from that I can't yeah. The superhero movie that has something to say as far as history and, and social issues. Yeah, completely. And a villain who And the is, villain has a point. <laughs> right. And a, a point that and is very almost, complex. Right, exactly, Michael. Almost, if not as valid as the hero's point. You know, yeah. the point being, why, why is Wakanda, you know, withholding all of its technological advances when there are so many people suffering around the world? And, you know, that's, that's what drives the film. It's brilliant. Um, so, you know, Ryan Coogler's at the top of my list. How about you guys? I'm looking forward to see what uh, Greta Gerwig does next. Yes, no doubt. Tell and me I, more, was not, tell I was not crazy about Lady Bird. I think I need to watch it again. I, I wasn't know, either. I know, I, I liked yeah, it I know a lot. You liked it a lot. See, I know a lot of people really, really loved it, and I, I have to give it another shot, but I really liked Little Women a lot. The only little problem I have with Little Women is occasionally I thought it cut back and forth in a different time period. It's a little too quickly. 
Uh, other than that, uh, I thought it was really good. Very, very well acted and very moving. And I admire her ambition for trying to tie Louisa May Alcott's story into Joe and yes. doing those. those yes, I liked, I liked that a lot. Uh, and plus, Florence Pugh is in it, so I'm good. <laughs> she she shows excellent. up. Well, she plays the bitch well. Yeah, well, it's the first time I've ever cared about Amy, so that was really good. And I like the 94 one, the Winona Ryder one. I do too. It's very good. Who played Amy in that one? Don't, don't was it Kirsten like. Dunst or someone like that? Or No, she was the sick one. She was Beth. Yeah. Can't remember. Yeah, no, no, that's a good one. So interesting that the first two we have listed, not surprisingly, are an African-American director and a female director. So that may be an indication of where we're headed. I hope so. I thought Lady Bird was very original. No, I didn't, there were slow moments, but it was, uh, it was very, it was very confidently directed. My, my, problem with Lady Bird, my problem with Lady Bird was the character, was her character. Yeah, I, just, I know. When she, before she jumped out of the car, I wanted to push her out. Yeah. <laughs> and when she went to New York, when I thought it was over, I thought, really? More about her? I just, I liked all the other characters. I liked the small characters. I, I, I loved the, the priest who was a drama teacher. Right. And uh, Lois Smith, who was the principal. I thought she was wonderful. And, and uh, the family, I thought they were, they were good. Yeah. And, and it wasn't that uh, What's-Her-Name was bad. It was just, I, I found the character grating after a while. That was my problem with Lady Bird. But again, as with Ryan Coogler, two, two films that she's directed, such different films, one sort of a, an oddball contemporary piece yeah. and the other, you know, a well-loved classic period piece. And I think she right. handled both equally well. And when Little Women first came out, I heard about it coming out, my first thought was, oh God, another version. <laughs> yeah, what is it? But I was very, very happily surprised. Yep. Michael, what about you? Who's topping your list? Well, I, my, you said a woman, Afro-American, I'm going to put in a gay man. <laughs> and this, this fellow, who I actually met once, he's British, his name is Andrew Hay. And he's done three major films and he's done a lot of television. The uh, films he did was uh, Weekend, 2011. He's British. And that was a, definitely a very gay story about uh, you know two guys basically just meet at a party and they think they're going to have a quickie and over the weekend they fall for each other and it was it was it was it got a very high rating at the 95 percent on rotten tomatoes and then his next film and then he also was a showrunner for a gay show on hbo uh, called looking that i thought was actually one of the better um, HBO series. Yep, no, and then the movie it. that was his most commercial film was 45 Years, which oh, uh, was Charlotte Rappling. Yeah. yeah, Charlotte Rappling and Tom Courtney. And Tom and Courtney. It, uh, and Rappling got the, the LA Critics Award and she got an Oscar nomination. And this wasn't gay at all. This wasn't a, uh, uh, you know, did you see it? I did yeah, not. I thought, yeah, I it's sort of like an exploration of secrets. Yeah, that's a good, that is, that's, that's exactly what it is. And it's, you know, a marriage that's been going on for 45 years and they find out a couple things about each other in the uh, eight days before their uh, anniversary party. 
and two great actors. Both of them were just so superb. And it was nice that Rampling finally got some recognition for her acting because she would yes. get do small parts, yeah, stand out, and everybody go, oh, yeah, and Charlotte Rampling, da, 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 da. but this one was <coughs> really, really interesting. And then his next movie. Lean on Pete. Huh? I said Lean on Pete. Lean on Pete, Lean on Pete which was so totally different from yeah. the first two films. It, it, did you see it? Yeah, I did yeah, not. I saw it again. Yeah, Same. really good movie. Uh, it didn't do much business, unfortunately. Well, it was did. a it was about a teenager. Yeah, but God, it was well done. And whoever would yeah, think he's, of a no, Steve I, I agree. He's a very Western. he's a very good director, but it's a it's a bleak movie. Uh, my only problem with the movie is that within the first 15, 20 minutes, I just kind of felt like. Well, I know where this is going. He's eventually, it's going to be a happy ending. Eventually he's going to find that person at the end or whatever. And you're going to start to think, oh, his life is going to be okay. And every adult he meets, except for the ending, is a jerk. Yeah. yeah especially very, very well directed though. Yeah. And now he's, he's directing director. something for television, uh, something British. So I don't know, you know, it's like uh, we were talking about when the 10 best movies of the decade, uh, Lisa Shimeno, uh, you know, did uh, the kids are all right. Now she's just directing or uh, producing for television. So, you know, I, I can't predict that he's going to be a major force. You know, that brings up something. I've been watching uh, Dear White People, and one of the episodes I watched was directed by Kimberly Pierce. Yay! Oh, yeah? Where have you gone, Kimberly Pierce? By the way, I tell everyone again, if you, you shame on you if you haven't seen Boys, Boys Don't Cry, but see Stop Loss, too, her other major theatrical film. Yeah, that one I haven't I seen yet. i got to see that. Which yeah, I thought too. was great. Even though Ryan Philippe is starring in it, it's still a good movie. Uh, <laughs> right, well, he's okay. What do you do? Uh, um, I'm going to throw out Jordan Peele. Also. Yeah, of course, yeah. Well, oh yeah, definitely. Well, but the thing, the thing that only thing that's holding me back about Peel is that you know it's two films, one genre. I mean, Us and Get Out are both. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I'm. Is you know, I, I want to see him do something else. But I think he's, I think he's very talented as a director. And a, and again, a very for someone who's never directed on you know on that on that size before, just very sure hand and a sure hand with the writing too. Although Us gets away from him a little bit. It's only by a little bit. And I think Us suffers only in comparison to Get Out. I mean, we had, I had Get Out very high on my top 10 of the decade. I think I, I liked Get Out. I didn't care for Us as much, but I don't like that genre. Well, and, and yeah, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna also throw in the, you know, that this has been, as we mentioned in the last episode, a good decade for genre. And I think some of those people, a couple in particular, especially Ari Aster, who's only done two major films, um, Hereditary and Midsummer, And I don't like, I'm with you, Michael, I don't like horror films. I don't like splatter, I don't like, even yeah, psychological I, I, horror. I do but, not like horror movies either. But they are thoughtful, psychological horror films with just enough, there's a little bit of blood, hardly any, and they really are complex and, and wonderful. He is de definitely someone who, even if he stays in the horror genre, 
is someone to watch out for, I think, Ari Aster. Um, and if you haven't seen, Midsummer is unlike anything I've seen since uh, The Wicker Man, not the Nick Cage one, the uh, Edward Woodward one. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm putting Ari Aster up there too. Who else you guys? I have just, oh, John? Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Because I, 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 I only have two movies from this fellow, but I, he's also done some TV work. Uh, Jesse Pertez. Uh, the two movies. Oh, Perez or Perez? Perez, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he did the uh, Nick Hornby film, right? Yeah. With Ethan Hawke, yeah. Yeah, uh, Julia, 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 I love that movie. I thought you would. I don't know yeah. anybody who dislikes it. It's funny. That's a movie that uh, that the premise is just, it's so ridiculous. Uh-huh. It, it's, almost, it's almost like a, a, a screwball comedy, but it's played very straight, and it's very believable. And it works. Yeah, it yeah, works. I, definitely I, works. I, I, I totally enjoy it. Well, I'm, I'm an Ethan Hawke fan, un, unabashed. I know you guys are not, but... Uh, well, I'm liking him. I, I, he's gotten more. much, much better over the years, and he's definitely, yeah. he's appeared in a lot of really good movies this last, these last 10 years. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm no, totally I think that's... Agree. What else did Parrots direct besides... Our uh, Idiot Brother. Hmm. And I, I just... Do you have Showtime? I had a free trial, not anymore. Oh, because they're, they're showing it on Showtime uh, On Demand, and I watched part of it uh, last week. And it is a very, it, I don't like it as much as Juliet Naked. No, it's not as good, but it's, it's fun. It's, but it's, it's fun, fun, and once again, very original. Yeah. It's, it's not, you know, your typical, I mean, he's not, the, Paul Rudd plays this kind of, not an idiot, just kind of uh, laid back uh, to the point of... Uh, <laughs> Republic. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> say loser, and I don't want to. Yeah, you're right. No, he's not really an I know, idiot. I know because he's, he's such not, a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, let's just say someone who's missed his chances. Uh, you know, I kind of wonder if maybe he's suffering from adult AD attention deficit or something. He he never seemed to be able to really focus his life in the right way. This is the guy who would sell drugs to a uniformed police officer. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, something we should bring up is that these directors that we're talking about, we're talking about emerging directors, they're not that young. Right. No, no. They're and, all in their late 30s. I think because of the way the, the film business has revolved and everything, it's, I think it's much harder for a really young director to really break through to make that feature film. Yeah. To become something big. Like, I mean, Greta Gerwig is 36, Ryan Coogler's 33, Jordan yep. Peele is 41. Yeah, Andrew Haig is forty-seven now. Jesse Perez yep. is in his fifties. Fifties, and you know I'm going to throw so, Deborah uh, Granick. You know I'm going to throw Deborah Granick in there for Winter's yeah. Bone and um, Leave No Trace, and she's also must be in her early fifties by now. Yeah, yeah. yeah leave, leave No Trace. Uh, it's that that is a neglected movie. It's an excellent, excellent movie. Brilliant. And and, and the, so the question is, I'm sure we're going to have a John Singleton come out of nowhere at twenty-three. You know, there's got to be at least one a decade, right? Yeah, no, I know. It's been quite a while since someone like that has has come along, where someone makes, you know, an impact at such a young age. Young age. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah it, it, it doesn't leap to mind, does it? Yeah. Orson Welles. Uh, 
<laughs> since then well, Tarantino kind of like the film business kind of like the film business said no 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 one in your 20s <laughs> wasn't Tarantino in his 20s when he first uh I think I so don't, yeah I, with yeah, I'm, sure. Dogs? I'm not sure maybe but yes but but that's that's the exciting part is that you know we we are naming people who have already made a mark, but you know, that's the beautiful thing is you never know when something's just going to leap out at you from nowhere yeah. and it's the next. But you know, I, I, I was thinking about how like in the seventies where we always hold movies in very high regard, there were a lot of very good movies being made, but like Scorsese and Coppola and Bogdanovich were all in their early thirties. Yeah. Like when their, their big movies came out. Scorsese was 31 when Mean Streets came out. Bogdanovich was 32 when the last picture show came out, and Coppola was only 33 when The Godfather came out. How old was Malik when uh, Badlands came out? Because that's a that was an out of uh, yeah. I don't know. I think he was a little younger than that. Not much though. He might he might have been yeah yeah. So I'm I'm also going to throw out here obvious for longtime listeners, um, Damien Chazelle just because his, the three films he's, he's done this decade are so different. I mean, Whiplash is this intense character study. Uh, La La Land, well, I'm not gonna get into that argument with you guys. You know how much I love that film. We don't hate it. I, I didn't no, like- I liked, I liked La La Land much more the second time I watched it. I think but, it's gonna um, be one of those films that, that gets better with each viewing, which is one of our standards here. But uh, First Man was a disappointment, but it was ambitious. Yeah. Well, the trouble with First Man is he just wasn't that interesting of a person. I mean, yeah, I understood what he was going at. Exactly, Michael. But why center? Yeah, why center your film? Yeah, he it was a two and a half hour movie about a rather dull man who did, did an extraordinary thing. But he wasn't right, but that he, interesting of a person. Compare that to I the characters. The, I think that's the old adage that, that a, a person is not great, greatness is thrust upon them. Wealth Night. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, but, but Michael's right. Do we really have to sit through um, the two and a half hours of Neil Armstrong? You know, compare it to, say, the right stuff for Apollo 13. Oh, yeah. Where the characters yeah. are so well drawn. And, right. you know. And anybody know, thought that was going to be such a hit, and it tanked. It did well, tank. I, felt that, I felt that way about Ad Astra, too. Um, I thought, you know, I thought I was going to add James Gray to the list, but, but Ad Astra was terrible, unwatchably bad. Was it that bad, really? Yeah, it really was that bad. So I'm, so I'm throwing Damien Chazelle up there. I think that's an obvious one. And I've got one more obvious one, and that's Barry Jenkins, who's only done two films so far, but they're Moonlight and If Beale Street Can Talk. Oh, yeah. So that's a voice. That yeah. is yeah, a yeah, yeah. strong voice. Yes. Yes, agreed. And if I had to pick the person who was going to break the color barrier in terms of winning Best Director, uh, my money would be on Barry Jenkins. Probably. Yeah. Uh, do you know what he's doing? What he's working on now? What he's doing next? Nobody's working on anything now. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Who else you guys got? What? What? Uh, this brings up. What happened to Steve McQueen? He's on my list. He did Widows a couple of years ago with Viola yeah. Davis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He directed that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not 12 years. It's that. not hunger, but... It was a caper movie without humor. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's a good way to put it. It's actually, it was pretty grim. 
Yeah, good Very performances good. though. Good performances, an interesting story, but it, it desperately needed some humor. Yeah, yeah. but I, he is, you know, the intensity of hunger, the intensity of shame also, which I haven't I seen. I like shame a lot. That's yeah. a movie that's not remembered. That's, that's a good movie. Yeah, and those are his four films. Yeah. So uh, I, I think we definitely have to- put I never saw- I think also that there's, uh, I think Michael, you wanted to mention, I know a Polish director. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, Pawlkowski. Uh, yeah, the, absolutely. But he's not that young a man either. Oh, he's in his 60s. He's in his, his 60s, 60s there, but I think, I think the point is though that there are some really, really very good directors that are not American who are suddenly becoming more notable here with you know, the, the, uh, a nomination or winning Best Foreign Film. It's like, oh, this, this guy's interesting. We have to check out his movies. Uh, that brings to mind me for uh, Katsu Koreda, who did uh, shoplifters that movie makes right, an impression love. on me i really want i really want to i saw his filmography and it's like these movies sound really really good i want to start checking and his out. new movie so, was all set to open up um yeah. one with ethan hawk and Catherine Deneuve and julia yeah. Pinochet had some good reviews and i thought oh this looks interesting and then of course we're not seeing it yeah well it didn't open it did open in france in 2019 yeah well, and of, but, and of course, uh, it's nice to see uh, Bong Joon-ho, you know, get that kind of wild acclaim. Yeah, because now, now he's, he's an international star. Yep. But he's, I've been a fan since the very host. very big now. As he should be, because he hasn't As done he a bad be. Yep. I, I didn't love Snowpiercer, but he hasn't done a bad film really since the host, and that was, you know, like 06, 07, somewhere in there, so... But, but, but that brings up the fact that there are there are a lot of very good Asian directors right now. Uh, yes, and a lot of good Asian female directors, which is something we've never really yeah. seen before. I finally got to see The Farewell. Oh, yeah, wasn't that great? Lovely. That lovely film. I mean, I think Beautiful. it was Aquafina's film, and, and the woman who played the grandmother was just lovely. But Wasn't yeah. she yeah. wonderful? Yeah, oh. what a, I mean... Everybody was good in it. Finally. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> so, um, and whenever I think of that movie, I just always think of that, that shot when they're leaving through the back of the car. Yep. Oh, and the grandma. Oh, God, it's heartbreaking. The grandmother in the distance, and she misses, she, it's finally revealed about how much she really misses them all. And you see yeah. her in the distance, and her sister comes to comfort her, and it's just, oh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, that is a, that's a brilliant, and, and you know, and of course, you know, Asian, uh, Asian comedy, even with um, Crazy Rich Asians. I mean, has all these, there were so many films that proved that, that what everyone knew for sure about markets, like you couldn't have a black superhero movie or an Asian comedy. That's kind of out the window now, thank goodness. Yeah. Yes. Or a woman director, you know, Patty Jenkins directing Wonder Woman. A woman couldn't direct a superhero movie. Well, that's gone too. So yeah, and that was, even that though was she's well only, even though she's only directed one movie, I will definitely be interested to see what Olivia Wilde does with her second film. Right, she did Booksmart, which and I was, I was such oh, a yeah, fan. yeah, that's right, brilliant. Uh, does anyone know that she has something planned coming? I uh, don't know. 
I was very disappointed, I have to say, in her performance in the uh, Everybody was. <laughs> you see it? No, I heard about it. I mean, it wasn't a total bad movie. Parts of it were good, but she was so over the top. It was like she was doing everything with twirl her mustache. And I was very surprised. It was just like, and I've seen her in other things and she's good. Not a yeah. fantastic, great, you know, actress, but a good, solid actress. But um, there was so weird, a great directorial debut and then a lousy performance. Uh, yeah, and Eastwood doesn't usually allow people to go over the top like No, that. he doesn't. He's a good director of actors, which surprised me. I mean, as I said, everybody else in that movie, uh, Sam Rockwell, uh, Kathy Bates, and the title fellow, I forget the actor's name, were all very, very good, but she was whoo, painfully bad. Oh, right. She's the reporter. Yeah. The reporter yeah, 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 that's yeah. dead that they made up a whole bunch of things about. All right. Well, um, I, if we're talking about foreign directors, I've got to throw uh, Asghar Fahadi out there, who did, from Iran, who's sort of the natural successor to uh, Karastami, who did two, I think, of the best films of the decade, which were uh, A Separation and The Salesman. Oh, yeah. I um, like them both. I, I, I didn't like know if you the, yeah, I like the separation. Uh, the, the separation was quite unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Yeah, but uh, but salesman was good too. Did you guys, did you guys see that? No, salesman. Uh, yeah, it's about a uh, act a relationship between actors performing in death of a sale. It's really yeah, yeah. I did see it. That one disappointed me a little bit. All right, you're a, you're a tough curmudgeon there, Michael. No, no, I, I thought it was good. <laughs> I was just. I heard so much about it. I thought, I found it a little predictable. But he's, you know, uh, I was afraid that Iranian um, film was going to sort of die with Karastami, but it lives. It definitely lives. And I'm going to put in a word, while, uh, you know, I mentioned horror before. I got to throw in a word for the science fiction people, specifically to Alex Garland, you know, who has been working for a long time, was a novelist beforehand, had like five other lives and then turned to directing and did Ex Machina and, mm -hmm. uh, and Annihilation, both of which I thought were it's just extraordinary. I didn't see Annihilation, but, but Ex Machina, wow. I mean, all the usual trappings associated with science fiction that make it cheesy out the window and just, again, very smart, very thoughtful filmmaking, especially Annihilation is really, it's almost not worth seeing on a small screen, but the vision is just spectacular. And is he directing the new Doom? Yeah, uh, no, that's my other guy. That's Denny Villeneuve, who, um, who it, it, he directed Prisoners, which right. I liked a lot. With you, I did like Prisoners. And Sicario, the first Sicario, which I thought yes. was great. Yes. And then into Arrival, which was, you know, I, I had like that. I liked that a lot. Right. Very smart. And then you guys know it was on my top 10 for the decade, Blade Runner 2049. And now the next thing it. he's got coming is the, uh, is the new adaptation of Dune, already superior to David Lynch's. So well. <laughs> How can it not be? I don't know what he was smoking when he was directing that, but whew. Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, the problems of the business notwithstanding, I think the future 
is very what do you think i mean do we i mean do we see the movie theaters trying to make a resurgence during the summer uh, and then i see what i unfortunately i don't want to be the voice of doom i see i see this the, this peaking again in the fall i mean that, i i wish i wish i could disagree i hate, John I hate Hill, to but, say that but. no but i think you're right i don't see how we can avoid it especially if we're going to reopen too fast like our friends in georgia for example well in several other states um I know that they're going to start opening up certain areas in New York at the end of this week. Yeah, drive-in movie theaters. Um, I'm in. Let's open up a drive-in theater. New York, City, New York City most likely won't start to open up until June. Yeah. I mean, what they'll have to do is, you know, sell one out of every five tickets, I guess, you know, for spacing. And I don't know. I know. And how, how can they survive doing that? Right. To sell a lot of popcorn, I guess. I don't know. I mean, they've already almost priced themselves out of the business before this anyway. And now, you know, who's going to go back? Either that or they disinfect the theater between each showing and everybody's required to wear gloves and a mask when you go to see a movie. Hard to eat popcorn that way, I can tell you. I've tried. That's right. <laughs> but I don't know. You know, look, people have predicted the death of, of cinema uh, many, many times in the yes. past, and it has always bounced back. Well, no, cinema, cin I mean, movies are going to survive. It's the movie theaters that I'm talking about, so. Uh. I don't know, are we being snobs? I mean, is, is it real? I mean, because we were raised on, like, Kurosawa and Kubrick and David Lean, so you need the, the huge screen. Maybe, maybe it's not as important anymore. I think it is. I mean, I do too, but that may just be because we are gentlemen of a certain age. That's yeah, wow. <laughs> That's true. But it's, it is, there's no doubt, though, and it's a different experience seeing a movie in a theater than watching it on your TV or computer, no matter how great your so-called home theater is. I mean, I would still go see something at the film forum, like a Vertigo or something like it, hot, even though I have a copy of it at home. Right, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I especially, you know, for people who've only seen, say, uh, you know, the Sergio Leone films on a small screen when they show them all the time, it's, even when you see them letterboxed on TCM, it's nothing. No, it's stupefyingly not boring. And then you see them in a the theater and you're like, oh, my God, now I get it. Yeah. yeah except for those long shots of the dripping water and once upon a time. Yes. Love it. <laughs> I'll argue that with you any day. But um, yeah, why you you don't like the twenty five minute credit sequence in Once Upon a Time in the, in the West? <laughs> oh come on, it's worth the whole the whole the whole business for when the villain rides in and shoots the kid, and the camera goes around, and it's Henry frickin' Fonda. Yeah, that, like that is that. Oh, that's Fonda's great in it. And yeah. I love the way he's. I love the way he's used cast against type in that. It's great. There's yeah, a story I, that when he first met Leone, he wore contacts to make his eyes look brown. And Leone oh, was like, "Where, where are the blue eyes? No, no, no! I want the blue eyes. I want Henry Fonda." <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I think once upon once upon a time in the West is the best of the Morricone scores. I think it's a beautiful score, and it's not quite as gimmicky as the other three, but. Um, Altogether as a film, I prefer The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. The tighter movie. Um, yeah. Michael's not a fan, but yeah, I mean... there. I no, mean, I'm not really you a know fan what? either, those, but I do, I do like Once Upon a Time in America. But those guys were making films 
not with the idea that they were ever going to be shown on a tiny screen or even a, a right. decent sized home yeah. screen. Maybe, you know, if you take someone like Alfonso Cuaron who made Roma, which is, you know, specifically for, you know, a home audience. And that was a pretty good artistic effort. We all loved it. So the photography oh, I is beautiful. The, I liked it better at the theater. The photography is beautiful in it. All right, so let's let's sum up. Let's run down the list of, of, of I just kind of threw a bunch of names on there. So I have, and sorry if I'm uh, re repeating, I've got Damien Chazelle, Ryan Coogler, Greta Gerwig, Jordan Peele, um, Alex Garland and Denny Villeneuve on the sci-fi tip, uh, Steve McQueen, Deborah Granick, uh, Ari Oster uh, on the horror thing, uh, Barry Jenkins and Asghar Fahadi. Who we and we're adding Jesse Parrott's in there. Who else are we throwing in? There? Andrew Hay, H-A-I-H-H. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very one. curious to see what he does. What he does next. You know, Lena and Pete is based on a British novel. Really? I, I yes. did not know that. That I did yeah. not know. Yeah, I would never guess that unless I happen to look up something about the movie because it's. I mean, he changed the locale and everything, and you do see an aspect of American life you just don't see depicted very often in movies. No. Which reminds me a lot of, of Deborah Granick, the way the movies that she makes. Yep. And and the girl who was in Leave No Trace is becoming a big star. Not as big as Jennifer Lawrence after Winter's Bone, but um, as you say, some directors have an eye for actresses. I, I will throw in another director that I met met briefly and I talked Joe Michael about Bill. movie before, Kent Jones. He used Oh yeah. Used to run the New York Film Festival. He's done two documentaries, the one on Elia Kazan and then Hitchcock Truffaut. And right. then he did this wonderful movie called Diane with Mary Kay Place. Right, which I remember you talking about last year. Yeah, it, it, was, it was one of the best movies I thought of 2019. And I looked him up and he's not working on anything. So maybe, you know, well, not even well, in between. Could be just in between projects. Could be. Did he, did he write Diane? Yes. It was semi-semi-autobiographical. And I have to, on, on personal things, I have to mention a name that I have mentioned in these pages before, my friend Hilary Brower, who uh, has directed a couple of films that have gotten, she won the Sundance uh, Screenwriting Prize for Stephanie Daly back in 04. And, and her new film has come out, the first one she's had total control over, my friend Ethan, her husband, is the <laughs> DP, called South Mountain. And it is, uh, it was supposed to have its live release, theatrical release, right when the pandemic hit. Mm. Uh, so, um, so it is available now on several streaming services with Talia Balsam, who is- Oh, I like good. I like her a lot. Oh my goodness, but she never gets leads and she gets one no. here. And Hillary is just such a sure writer and, uh, and it's beautifully shot. That's my, that's my buddy, Ethan. So where is, it, where is it streaming? It's going to be on Amazon. We saw it okay. on YouTube. Yeah, so it's, it, if you have a YouTube account, you can get it. It's on some of the other smaller streaming services, but it's won all kinds of prizes at festivals, and it's just, just a straight-up character study. And I, I, I would like to see Talia Balsam, you know, get something. I mean, she's the most, the most famous thing. She seems to be, besides Martin Balsam's daughter, is uh, George Clooney's first wife. Yeah. But uh, she was... That's no way to go through life. <laughs> she was very, very good in that um, 
Sarah Jessica Parker um, HBO show. Um, the Voice. Uh, Sex in the City? No, no, no. The Voice. Oh, The Voice, yeah. yeah. Oh, on HBO. Yeah. Yeah, Very, yeah, yeah. In fact, I would kind of wait for her character. I didn't care that much about Sarah Jessica. Well, um, it's a good one. All right, I have one last question for you guys. Favorite pandemic film? I don't have one. I hate them. See, I can't believe my favorite one. I don't. I don't really love Contagion. I don't really love um, Outbreak. What was that? Out- oh, oh Outbreak. Hoffman? Yeah. yeah. Is that the- Have you guys ever seen Panic in the Streets with Richard Widmark? Oh, yeah. 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 Which Kazan directed? That's really good. Nineteen fifty. Yeah, also, not a fan. I'm not, crazy, not, not crazy about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really feel most of Kazan's movies don't age well. I wish I could. I, I think Face in the Crowd does, but... but Face in the see. Crowd and Streetcar. But have you ever s- sat through Pinky? <laughs> hey! When I talk, I do, I do... I've done workshops on the history of African-American portrayal in film, and I always show Pinky. You know, the whole, yes. you know, the trying to pass thing. Oh, and, okay. Yeah, Gene hmm. Crane... A white girl playing a black girl playing a white girl. Yeah, it gets a little racially confused. <laughs> and wait, wait, which of the Cirque films was that too about? Splendor in, in the, the Grass life? still has has, oh, um, has power. Which one? Splendor in the Grass. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's pretty I good. I like yeah. his first, uh, the the one uh, Betty, from Betty Smith's book. Um, Tree grows in Brooklyn. Yeah, no, uh, you know, I, I, unfortunately, never got I, have, to see. I have to say, a tree grows in Brooklyn has aged very well. Yeah, that one's aged well. Yep. Agreed. Gentleman's agreement. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, I saw it as a teenager, and I didn't like it. I would have given the Oscar to the parodying case over that one. <laughs> <laughs> I would go That's saying something. That's saying something. That's true. <laughs> Let me tell you about Mrs. Paradine. She's bad, bad to the bone. Ouch. But she was beautiful. Oh, yeah. Mike's going to mention here that Ethel Barrymore got nominated for supporting for Paradine Case. So. Oh, um, yeah. I forgot about that. See? But uh, I listen to you. I pay attention. And um, so that's a nice lead into our uh, topic for next time. We have uh, borrowed the idea of uh, the great Danny Peary, one of my favorite film critics, uh, and we've done alternate Oscars, what we would have given the Oscars to in the years that they were given out. We've done it for the 80s in one episode, and we did it for the OOs in one episode. Now we're going to cast back, speaking of Ilya Kazan, we're going to cast back, and episode 21 will be alternative Oscars for the 50s. Our only ground rule is that we're not going into foreign films because then it would be an eight-hour episode. And we wouldn't be yes, stop, it would be. So, <laughs> so, so no cheating, Michael. All right. No cheating, Michael. So can we, we can only, no necrology because too many people are dying, but just one death joke. Why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, what we've been watching to get through these, these rather unusual times. Hitchcock. Seriously. Yeah, you know, that's get that's getting me through. Michael, what, what, about what have you? you watched? What have you watched recently? Uh, well, uh, I've been watching or, Hollywood on um, on Netflix. No, what hit? No, no. Let's go back to Hitchcock. What Hitchcock movies have you been watching recently? Shadow of a Doubt, Vertigo, Rear Window, Strangers on a Train, and you know, coming Rear up. Rear Window. With- Rear Window, I think, is a good one to watch during this time. It's yeah. very very entertaining. It's it's perfect. 
Yes, and it's about someone who's stuck in their apartment. So yes. <laughs> that's perfect. That's true. <laughs> um, my pick for best movie of 54. Absolutely. Sneak previews, absolutely. All right, well, we have all sorts of, and because the 50s, we were just talking about it before we came on the air. Um, we, I think they got pretty much every year wrong. I think you would only make a case possibly for All About Eve in 50. Um, I'd still give it to a certain Billy Wilder film, but that will argue out. No, I, yeah, I agree with that one. So let's, let's, not, let's not get yeah. too much of a sneak. <laughs> yeah. All right, so no necrology this time. But can we can we just? I've been it? watching. I've been watching. Uh, in the beginning, I was watching a lot of Cary Grant comedies. I needed to because I was. I needed to get away from the news. Bringing up baby holiday. Oh yes, of course. Friday. Bringing up baby. Bringing up baby. I can watch every day and not get yep. tired of it. I'm a his girl Friday. Friday. Yeah. The awful truth. Oh, love that. My favorite wife. I'm looking forward to. Um, they're going to show next month. Um, I'm. Turner Classic Movies, it's Ann Sheridan is the star of the month. And I'm looking forward to um, I Was a Male War Bride. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. I boy, I haven't seen that in ages. Oh, yeah. it's really, there, really... There's some lines in that. I don't know how they got away with them. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, I've also, <clears throat> I very much enjoyed watching the uh, second season of My Brilliant Friend on HBO. I think it's great. I haven't seen I, it. Looks beautiful. I haven't seen it. I've oh, seen it is. my it wife is. has it's read the book. Beautiful. So, Michael, what about you? What have you been watching? Been watching Hollywood on um, Netflix, which is not really good, but it's kind of trashy in a fun sort of way. It's it's it takes place in the forties, uh, and it's sort of an alternate. What if what if Hollywood weren't racist and um, uh, homophobic. No, no, it's not. No, it's about it's about Hollywood. How about how racist and homophobic it was, and what if if it if it overcame that? That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. And they use no, real characters mixed in. It's with kind of entertaining, and there's 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 good acting in it. Some very good acting. How much um, have you watched of it so far? I've watched three episodes so far. Okay. In terms of TV series, I watched on 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 Orthodox, which is the um, the uh, miniseries based on the autobiography of a woman who leaves the Hasidic community and and runs. Oh yeah, oh yeah, very, very surprising. Is that, what, is that Netflix? Uh, yes, yes, it's on Netflix. Quite good. You recommend Beautiful it? Film. Yeah, and but, have you guys checked out Dear White People on Netflix? I love the movie. By the way, if he directed another movie, I could have thrown Justin Simeon in there. Yeah, because the I like that movie a lot. Yep. Plus, he gave us Tessa Thompson, which is great. That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> and um, and also, while well, with directors like that, Boots Riley, who did Sorry to Bother You. Yes, yes. Her first film was very smart and very irreverent, and let's see what he does next. Yeah. All right, so that's that about wraps her up. Um, so we've got, hopefully we've turned you on to some directors you don't know, and hopefully our picks will pan out over the decade, and these will be the folks we're talking about 10 years from now when we do Vintage Sand episode 126. Oh my God. Films of the 20s, yes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it already. Um, any, any last comments, guys? Any, uh, any last words of wisdom to pass on to the Madding crowd? Mm. Stay safe. 
Practice your social distancing. Please wear a mask when you go out or some other facial covering and stay healthy. Stay positive. Yep. Michael? Same. Same ditto from Michael. Yeah. So I will, I will end traditionally by saying that, uh, that Vintage Sand is a five nines and a four production. Uh, check out our website at www.vintagesand.com. Want to thank uh, Mama Sue for the space and Melissa for the technical help, Gabby for our cool ass logo. Um, please leave your feedback and suggestions and such on the website. So, and happy watching. Wash your hands, people. All right, stay the hell indoors. All right, movie fans never go out anyway, so you're not missing anything. And, um, it's <laughs> true. Um, and, uh, may your favorite films always be streamed.